Hello and welcome back to the podcast. As some of you might have noticed, I have been away and I took a little break. There will be a few episodes coming up on this actually where I will take you through what's been happening in our life as a family and I will also update you on my pregnancy as well. But for today, I am chatting with the lovely Ebony. Ebony is a mom of two beautiful girls and she takes us through her two very different pregnancies, birth and especially postpartum. From experiencing hyperemesis gravidarium very early on in her pregnancy to then having preeclampsia in the later stage of her third trimester and then experience a lot of miscommunication or a lack of communication from the hospital, Ebony takes us through her very first pregnancy and labor, which then ended with both Ebony and her baby girl having an infection. And this was the start to a very rough journey of motherhood for Ebony. From there on, Ebony takes us through the issues she had trying to establish breastfeeding while recovering from an infection and also experiencing low milk supply because she had a postpartum hemorrhage after the delivery of her baby girl. Something really important that we chat about during this episode is the societal expectations and opinions that others have on new moms and how as a first-time mom it is sometimes really difficult to not listen and essentially do your own thing and this is the main difference in Ebony's postpartum between her first and second girl. You will hear how in her second postpartum Ebony just decided to do what she felt was the best for her babies and she felt a lot more relaxed and easygoing with her parenting compared to her first postpartum. And finally, during this episode, we chat about something that I am very passionate about, maternal mental health, and Ebony shares with us her diagnosis of postpartum depression, how this journey has been for her, and she also shares with us some really helpful strategies And she also shares how she now views parenthood and the parenting load from a different perspective. I thought that was very interesting and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. You are listening to Kapa Oiva Doula. I'm your host, Alicia, exercise physiologist and doula. And every week I chat with a mom or mom-to-be about all things pregnancy, birth and parenting. The stories you will hear in this podcast are real and sometimes raw, but they are all told without any taboo. So grab yourself a cuppa, put your earphones in, relax and enjoy this episode. Hi, Ebony. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, most welcome. Thanks for having me. No worries. Do you want to start by introducing yourself? So telling the listeners um, your name, where you're living and who is in your family? Yeah, obviously I'm Ebony. I'm, I live on the Sunshine Coast here in Queensland. 
uh, and I live with my wonderful husband and we have two daughters, uh, Grace and Louise, and they're two and a half and one. <laughs> Amazing. And so, Ebony, did you always want to be a mom? I think I did. Um, our first was uh, not planned, so mm -hmm. it kind of was almost sprung upon us. Mm -hmm. I was at a point though where it's like, oh, okay, you know, we're engaged and I'm 29 at this point and my husband's a little bit older than I am. So it was like the right kind of timing. So yeah, yeah I kind of just fell into motherhood and I kind of haven't looked back. Sometimes I'm like, oh goodness, but um, yeah, never, never regret it. Was it, did you ever discuss it with your uh, fiance back then and husband now that you both wanted to have kids at some point? Oh. <laughs> when we first met, my husband told me that he's never getting married and he's never having children. So oh. uh, complete right. 360 now. Yeah, his yes. mind right. has changed. So, <laughs> Any particular reasons for refusing marriage and kids or just that's how it was? Um, I just think he had this perceived I guess perception that like a wife is kind of controlling and he's big into mm -hmm. motorbikes so you know you can never have time then yeah. to go out motorbike riding if you have a wife and children mm -hmm. and it sucks all the joy out of your life but obviously as he's come to find it's the complete I mean <laughs> sucks a little bit of joy let's be honest yeah but I mean <laughs> they provide so much more in terms of other yeah. things so I was going to say, I was, I've read back a couple of the messages that we sent between each other in the, when we first started dating and I've asked him, do these kind of reflect how you feel now? And he just laughed so hard and he was like, oh my goodness, I was such an idiot in what I was saying. So yeah, it's funny to look back. It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, things change, circumstances change and, and you can change your mind and decide that the life you thought you wanted is not the life you want now that's, exactly that's normal so how did you find out you were pregnant with your first um because it wasn't a, a planned pregnancy oh this is so we actually were engaged or well, we became engaged probably a, just over two weeks prior so i think we got a little bit too celebratory if you want to call it um and then it was christmas day so the way that we i don't take birth control so and i've never i've kind of tried it mm -hmm. it never kind of worked for me so um yeah. the method we were using was tracking my ovulation cycle and that had worked for a pretty long yeah. time and obviously until we had that one <laughs> little lapse um and so i yes. had the what i was buying kits basically that included like ovulation um tests so that i can keep a track of it and they also always came with a couple of pregnancy tests and so Christmas day I'm like oh wow I feel a bit off I'll just take a test just to mm -hmm. be sure so it was um, in the evening and then I had a shower and I came back out and there it was a big pregnant like a positive pregnancy test so I went into my husband wow. by well, my fiance at this point and I was like look at this like I'm pregnant Oh, like, what are we going to do? And he goes, ah, we were right. And then he went to sleep. He just went to sleep. Like, he was so unfazed by the whole thing. And I was, like, up. I'm, like, because I'm in uni. Yeah. What am I going to do? Like, can we oh. 
incorporate this yep. into our life, like, oh my goodness, what a big shock, but also an exciting, I was excited. Um, and my husband was just so unfazed by it all. <laughs> but yeah, that's how we found out. Right. <laughs> wow. So it's basically you've got a full-on life and it's it's not planned and then it's thrown at you you're pregnant and then you're obviously thinking about it all going oh how is this going to work and your husband is fine <laughs> that's great yeah I, I think he was just in a bit of shock as well and that's just how he kind of yeah. copes with it he's like oh okay yeah let me just sit and digest this for a little bit yeah. wow so, I, I, I love I love it when well, at least your husband wasn't stressed because if, if you're both stressed, that increases your stress, obviously. But if yeah. he's not stressed, then I feel like maybe it helps you to be less stressed, maybe. I don't know, sometimes. Yeah, it was probably a good reaction to have because then I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't then compounding on my stress even more and taking his stress into the equation. Like, yeah, yeah I was just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's right. So you, you find out you're pregnant. Do you do you know anything about, you know, what like what you do when you find out you're pregnant? Do you know, you know, what type of care you want and, and, and all of that? Or is, is this all no. completely new to you? This is all completely new to me. So I went and booked a doctor's appointment and <laughs> had a blood test. It came back that I was still really early, so about five weeks, yeah. and we went and had a scan booked so it's just about I think I was five and a half weeks at this point um mm. and I just started researching of course as you do absolutely everything so yeah I just was asking so many questions to my sisters Good. I have older sisters so my sisters are 20 or ish years older than me and have already had their yep. their babies who have grown up they're adults now so I was asking them lots of questions like, what do I do? What do I expect? What happens now? And just going about it that way. Yeah, cool. I, um, I remember going back to my GP about six weeks and said, I can't keep anything down. I'm so sick. And she mm -hmm. was a bit um, really dismissive of it. Mm. And so during these mm -hmm. six weeks, it's still too early to have like, um, morning sickness you'll be fine mm -hmm. it's just mm. you know you're feeling off um, and it continued mm -hmm. and it got worse and worse and worse um, and when I was about I think seven weeks along I said to my partner I can't do this anymore I'm so sick I ended up calling the non-emergency line <laughs> and the nurse on the line said you need to go to hospital you're so, like if you mm -hmm. can't keep anything down, you're so dehydrated by the sounds, you need to present to hospital. So I went there and I was diagnosed with, I can never pronounce it, hyperemesis gravidium, if that's how you say it. Gravidarium. Gravidarium, there we go. Um, yeah. I just call it or HG. HG so. for easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah easy. Yep. So diagnosed with HG. Right. And then I had a nurse, they... Um, discharged me to hospital in the home care which was amazing mm -hmm. so I had a nurse come out twice a day for two weeks wow. to um, put anti-nausea medication and fluids through a drip that I had uh, which was good but I still had to go to work and do uni on top of all this so with an <laughs> IV the, yeah so work were really um I was in a different job at this point 
uh, and they were really kind of just so not understanding of it, which was really hard. I felt mm-hmm. like until mm. uh, my managers now have both gone on to have children of their own and experience mm-hmm. morning sickness, but I just uh-huh. don't think they understood like how bad it can be. Um, so I just made my nurse made a little, uh, I guess, a little sock that went over my, it was in my hand, the drip. So I just put a little yep. sock over my drip. Uh, on my cannula and um yeah i got on with my day <laughs> so she'd come in the morning before work and i'd have my any nausea medication and then she'd make sure i'd have something to eat and then put the drip the bag of fluids through and my goodness what a bag of fluids can do i felt like a million dollars at that point so uh, and then she'd come back in the evening and that happens yeah for about two weeks until i kind of was feeling a lot better uh and then yeah. i was on medication after that for a few more weeks until about I think Mm -hmm. 20 weeks it kind of subsided wow 20 yeah and then it came back late in my pregnancy so it returned about 32 weeks oh so So you got three months of rest and that was it yeah and then it was back again so I remember trying to like check out at Coles and buy groceries and I'd be vomiting and I remember I was at uni running out of labs and vomiting all over the lawn, oh. <laughs> um, oh. you know, having to pull over in the car and yeah. vomit. And, oh, it's oh. just everywhere all it's the awful. time. It was terrible. Yeah. I don't wish it upon anyone no. that it was just, oh, yeah, it wasn't. That's was probably the worst thing associated with labour. Yeah. I mean, not labour, um, pregnancy just yeah and that constant feeling of being nauseous and not knowing like where you're going to be sick and having to keep changes of clothes with me everywhere I went um oh god yeah it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't fun no no and and the the thing with HGA I've been you know with this podcast what I'm finding is some medical professionals like you know whether it's your GP or it's you know it's an a doctor that works in the emergency department some of them they have no idea what hg is so they go oh you're pregnant well that's normal that you're sick but we know that hg is yeah. beyond normal sickness like we know it's it's just vomiting that will make mm. you dehydrated you can't keep fluid you can't keep food down and that's not yeah. good for, for anyone really and if it was no. if the person had gastro and wasn't able to keep anything down then the doctor would go, oh, well, you need an IV. You need to be rehydrated. But because you're pregnant, they go, oh, well, it's normal, but it's not. And that's yeah, so good that I'm that s- ER nurse was on top of it because otherwise you could have gone weeks without without getting the treatment you needed, actually. Yeah, I'm so lucky that the hospital here took me seriously. Like, I was in overnight yeah. and I was given bag after bag of fluid. I'm so glad that they took me seriously because it could have gone, like you mentioned, the other way. Yeah, and that's terrible that you, you know, like you said, oh, I was taken seriously. How could you not be taken seriously? Like, you're a grown-up who shows up to yeah. hospital and you literally... You're stating, I'm dehydrated, I can't keep anything down. Who is the doctor that's going to go, oh, well, it's just pregnancy? Like, mm. that's just wrong. Like, if the if a woman says, I'm dehydrated, I need IV, we know that a patient will usually tell you what they need. They will give you the diagnosis. You literally just need to listen and, and not say, oh, it's because of this, it's normal. No. Yeah, yeah. So outside of 
HG. How was your pregnancy? Was it okay? It was okay. Um, I <laughs> I did have high blood pressure on and off throughout the okay. yep. last trimester of my pregnancy. Um, yep. I do have a family history. So my mum and both my sisters had preeclampsia uh, during their pregnancies. Okay. Yep. Uh, my GP, I had a um, appointment with my GP at one point. And she took my blood pressure and it was so high. And she's like, I'm calling the hospital. I'm sending you over right now. So she right. called the hospital. They said, yeah. She's like, they'll probably induce you. I think I was 29 weeks at this point. Uh, 39 weeks, sorry, oh, well. at this point. So, oh, well, okay. yeah. like, you know, like, um, well, within that kind of safe realm to deliver a yeah. healthy baby. And they said, oh, no, 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 when I got there. And they did some obs um, and a blood test. They said, no, you're fine. Go home. Oh, okay. So like, oh, okay. <laughs> Um, and then cool. I had a few kind of back and forth uh, stays in the day unit there in the maternity ward just yeah. to be monitored for my blood pressure and then taking, you know, urine samples and then blood tests to see yeah. where I'm at. And as I've said to you before, it wasn't until I presented in early labor and I had high blood pressure again that they mm-hmm. took bloods and they've discovered that I in fact did have preeclampsia Mm -hmm. so (laughs) took a while but we got there yeah and it's funny because you also had the family history so it sounds like maybe you you know you needed maybe a bit closer watch to like which I mean they did but then they somehow discovered it almost a bit late I feel but Maybe that's yeah, how it was. Yeah, it was, wasn't, like I said, until I was in labour and at hospital that they discovered it. So I was like, I'd come in so many other times and it was never kind of acted upon. Yeah. So a little bit disappointing in some ways, but also I can't <laughs> change it, unfortunately. Yeah. I think too, now I didn't discover this until actually I was pregnant with my second um, and I wasn't even informed of it. My student midwife came and told me, but when I presented in labor with my first, I was actually sick. They knew that I was sick. So I had an infection um, oh. and they never told me that. And I never knew that oh, until, okay. yeah, I was out with my second. So Why? I heard that. Why would they not tell you? I think they wanted to just make sure that I wasn't because I have a, a history of anxiety. So I think they were trying to, okay. I guess, keep me safe in not telling me so I didn't have a reaction guess to it that would make me stress out a lot more Uh, so I think in their minds it was better to withhold it and not let me know than to tell me Mm -hmm. hey this is what's going on and make me stress out more when in actual fact not telling me things is what stresses me out more and more yeah Mm -hmm. so with my labor with my first the lack of communication seems to be an ongoing theme Mm -hmm. so I had presented in labour. I was due for an induction, but when they checked, I was already three centimetres dilated, so there's no point for the balloon catheter. They were going to send me home, yeah. but then they realised that, oh, you have preeclampsia. <laughs> um, we'll keep Good you, luck. but we don't have room. Yeah, we don't have room for you in the birthing suite, so we'll send you to maternity ward. Uh, so I laboured there for, that was about maybe 8, 9 o'clock in the evening, and I was there until 4.30 in the morning. Uh, just laboring on and off like I said to you earlier I was having contractions about every five minutes lasting for a full minute they were extremely painful Mm. to me that was obviously my pain threshold Mm. then the midwife Mm -hmm. in the maternity ward was very (laughs) 
I feel almost rude. And she's like, no, you need to lay down so I can time your contractions. And she was timing that had slowed down to 10 minutes when I lay down. And I was asking mm-hmm. for pain relief. And she says, no, you don't need it. You're still only every 10 minutes. You're still in early labor. I'm not going to give you any pain relief. Uh, and then I was, I think, making a lot of noise, like <laughs> in the shower. So I was in the shower, yeah. laboring. And she come in, she goes, I'm moving to birth week now. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. So uh, a student midwife come in, took me over to birth suite. And straight away, they're like, what kind of pain relief can I get you? I've heard you want pain relief. Mm-hmm. And I said, give me everything. And she goes, I can't act upon that. You need to tell me exactly what you need. And I said, I want an epidural. So she's okay. like, okay, well, book it. What can I offer you in the meantime? We have gas available. And I said, yes. I'd love the gas. I need something. Mm-hmm. So started on the gas. It was amazing. Doesn't take the pain away, but it kind of takes your mind yeah. off of it. Mm-hmm. I was the little mermaid there for a while. <laughs> and then I was having Christmas dinner with Snoopy. Uh, so I was having a ball of a time mm. while on this gas. Cool. Uh, yeah, Wonderful. I think the best thing was I thought I only waited half an hour to get the epidural, but my husband tells me no, I waited three hours. So no way. Yeah, three <sighs> hours. So he was very busy. Wow. So he had just started his shift, and he obviously had a few jobs before yeah. I lined up before yeah. he could get to come in and see me. Uh so yeah. So, but luckily, I only thought it was half an hour. But no, so yeah, good. That's one of the good things, I guess, about the gas. Uh, and then they uh, that and Snoopy, me. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't watch Snoopy, so I don't know why Snoopy came to mind. And at one point, um, I started screaming, and my husband was like, "Is it contractions? Are you okay? Is it painful?" And I said, "No, there's monsters here." So I was, yeah, the, the midwife was like, I'm going to turn down the gas now, I think. So she ended up turning it down a little bit. <laughs> so I was very happy at, uh, yeah, that point, I think. Right. So then. That's amazing. Yeah. So after that, they, after I had the epidural, they're like, okay, cool. Now, so now we can, if you want, we can check you and see how things are going. And obviously they attached um, the constant monitoring 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 on uh bub so they had noticed that after contractions she wasn't recuperating if that's the word like recovering really well Mm -hmm. her heartbeat wasn't kind of getting back up there so they're like Mm -hmm. we might get the we might attach a fetal monitor onto her head Mm -hmm. um so I'm like, yep, cool, whatever you need to do, like make sure she's safe, that's fine. So they had done that and they said to me a little while later, hey, look, it's still not looking like she's recovering really well after these contractions. We're going to get the obstetrician to come in and take a look. This was about probably yep. 11 in the morning and the obstetrician then didn't come in until 5 o'clock in the afternoon and this whole time I'm stressing out thinking, no one's coming in to check my baby. My baby's stressing out. What's happening? Mm-hmm. Because they said to me, if the OB says that bub's in distress, we'll call for an emergency mm-hmm. cesarean and then it's go. Like you'll have your baby within 10 minutes once they make the call. But what mm-hmm. I didn't know until afterwards was that a little while later, my bub 
had gotten back to being okay and recovering after the contractions, but they never told me that. So again, this whole time, this lack of communication made me think that I waited hours to see an obstetrician and this whole time my baby's in distress when in fact she wasn't, she was doing okay. But later on, she had gone back to being in distress again. So about just after four Mm -hmm. and then the OB came in not long after that and and had a look and took a blood lactate sample and it was just under the cuffs of her calling it for an an emergency cesarean. She goes, look, we're going to give two more hours to birth. If you haven't had your baby within that time, we'll pretty much call it because we can't let, you know, by this point Mm -hmm. I'd already been in labour for 40 hours. Like you're getting tired. There's risks associated, obviously, with having such a long labour. And Mm -hmm. obviously, like we have seen, is on and off getting stressed. So, you know, we can't keep letting this continue but luckily an hour later I was like I've got the feeling to push <laughs> so uh, it was nice. with my husband in the room yeah my my uh the midwife overseeing me had ducked out for a tea break and my husband was like panicking he's like you need to push like he's thinking like it's gonna happen in like the next minute and there's gonna be a baby that he has to deliver yeah. you know like the movies but I was like I was like because I had seen yeah. Obviously, I'd educated myself a fair bit. I knew that this process could take a little while. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. it's fine. Just wait for her to come back in. And he's, like, running around like a headless chook. Um, and he ran and found some random poor little student doctor. And he's like, oh, you have to push? And he's like, I don't know what to do. And they're both, like, freaking out. <laughs> so um, luckily, um, the midwife came back in. And then when it was time to push, a couple of other midwives came in, like, the head midwife was there and I was like um by this point my epidural had actually worn off and my little one was facing the wrong way so not feet first but we were like back to back so I had intense back labor which was really painful and it felt like at this point obviously where she was sitting in my birth canal it felt like my back was breaking and I was like I can't do this I just can't do it I can't push her out it's just too painful and the head midwife I uh, remember saying to me why can't you do it you can do it and that was amazing and I'm like actually I can like it's just just keep pushing just keep pushing so I managed to push her out it took an hour so I was within that two hour I guess period of being able yep. to birth her my goodness <laughs> the most painful thing I think I've ever endured in my entire life um but she came out all 4.2 kilos of her so um wow. managed to have a nice big healthy baby so she came up onto my chest and I had delayed cord clamping and you know straight you know skin to skin and I wanted to see if she could um make her way and start to feed naturally without kind of me intervening with that so um but unfortunately none of that got to happen like her me feeding her like that because I had a postpartum hemorrhage so in total I think what was written down was 1.7 liters but I think the total was actually 2.2 um so a massive blood loss um that was really scary so the room filled with people like I've never seen so many people come so fast into a room because my husband actually pressed they had my husband press the emergency button and yeah I remember laying there they had taken the baby from me and I'm getting drips put in everywhere and this point my um my veins were collapsing so 
no droopers going in and they're just having to do it again and again and again. And I have a massive fear of needles and blood. So I'm not like, I'm just laying there like, wow. And I look over at my husband and he's just pale and there's a nurse fanning him with a little towel on his head. And I'm like thinking like, I'm dying here. Like, (laughs) what are you doing? My goodness. But um, I think he was saying later on that seeing me like that, like he thought like this is it, like he's watching me die basically. Yeah. Um, but what had happened was I think um, having a big baby, they had actually given me to help move the labour along during labour. They had um, given me, I forget the drug that they give, like the synthetic hormones. They had administered that. So that and then the fact that I had a long labour, my cervix yep. just hadn't clamped down properly so it was tied it was just mm-hmm. open and that's why I was hemorrhaging so luckily they were able to wow. just give me a whole bunch of injections and then my my cervix decided to clamp down and stop the bleeding and then that's when my obviously I said I was sick with an infection my infection took over so my my um, temperature spiked I started shaking and then they realised too mm-hmm. then that Bub has an infection. So hey, she had a, a fever as well. So she mm-hmm. was raced off into neonatal and then they started antibiotics yep. for myself. So yeah, she ended up having a week-long stay in neonatal unit. So mm-hmm. with um, getting antibiotics, which is just rough in itself with a little baby, like yeah. destroying all that good gut flora and all of that so she ended up having really bad um she was really colicky a really colicky baby especially after feeds and things like that Mm -hmm. um and I think that was associated with all the antibiotics she was given in that first week and then I had antibiotics too so it was coming through my breast milk yeah Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was a bit of a rough start (laughs) to be honest Mm, for all of us into my sounds like it yeah, my introduction to motherhood. So, yeah, being apart, not being able to, you know, share a room with her. And then I was sick and she was sick. And then obviously recovering from birth. And then I was in neonatal with her once I was discharged from the maternity ward. So kind of just thrusted out with this sick baby and in a really kind of public setting too so a moment obviously there's some privacy there but you you don't have a decent bed and then there's doctors and nurses and other mums there and it's not really the best setting to be kind of getting I guess to know your baby and figure out your routine and find out like okay so how do I how do I do any of this yeah it was a really hard place and I'm just uh I look back and a lot of ways I'm really lucky like I I had a big beautiful healthy baby um in the end and it's hard because I guess a lot of mums who go into neonatal don't get to always leave with their babies so mm-hmm. I was really really fortunate in that situation yeah. yeah wow that's um yeah that's that's a really rough start to to motherhood especially when it's your first it's your first experience at birthing and it, yeah. it was a really long one it you know you had the the hemorrhage afterwards and then the infection for both of you oh yeah. it's so rough how did you cope when you both you know all three of you got back home how was how did you find you know your marks and and like finding mm. you know a 
I guess, a routine? How did you go with feeding in that? I was really lucky in that my daughter was an exceptional feeder. So I, she had an amazing latch. She fed really well. I had actually lost my milk supply due to the hemorrhage. So we Mm -hmm. ended up having to supplement with formula and I was having to feed, pump, feed around the clock, which was really draining and really hard mentally. I hate pumping. I think due to that experience, I just, I, I just hated it. I hated doing it. I don't enjoy it. I just hate pumping now. I can't <laughs> express how much I despise pumping. And it was really hard. Like I said, she was a really colicky baby. She was really unsettled. And I think having a lot of these outside pressures too, like put your mm-hmm. baby down, Dre's drowsy but awake. Don't feed your baby yep. all the time. Don't use breastfeeding as a you know as a dummy. Don't pacify them yep. that way. Like you're giving them mm-hmm. bad habits. Don't. My husband and I would hold her and like comfort her and jiggle her to go to sleep, and that's how we got her to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. spoiling our baby and things like that. And a lot of <sighs> these comments and outside pressures, and then what you read on the internet, it was like, oh my goodness, like mm. I was so stressed and felt like I was failing. I was completely failing. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, like feeding your baby to sleep, like it's the easiest way to get them to go to sleep. But thinking in my mind, like, this is so wrong. Like I'm not meant to be doing this. It Mm -hmm. really, it really set me up to almost fail in a way. So, um, when in reality, that's completely normal. That's so good Mm -hmm. for them. It's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. No, that's it. Um, that's it. And that's what I was yeah. going to say. I think, um, sorry, I just wanted to interrupt to say, you know, whatever you're doing to get baby to, to feed, um, to, to settle, you know, especially when they've got colic and that's, that's really hard to settle them and then to yeah. sleep, whatever you're doing, that's what's right for your baby. And I think exactly. we, <clears throat> as a society, we think that when baby's born, they need to go in their own, you know, cot or bassinet. They need to sleep on their own, unassisted. Um, they need to be independent in a way. And we mm. know that from, you know, other cultures like more, you know, African and mid- Middle Eastern cultures, that's not how they do things. They they keep the baby with them, on them, you know, feeling the skin of the mom or feeling the skin of, you know, the dad for months because that's what the baby needs. The baby needs, you know, touch, feel. They need to be held. They need to be close to their mom. They need to be close to the breast as well so they can feed. Like without any schedule, without going, oh, it's only been an hour since they fed. No, they just feed when they feel hungry. And we know yeah. that yeah. those cultures, those babies are more settled than ours who are meant to be straight out of the womb and independent and be, you know, able to settle themselves and feed every three hours. That's not how yeah. it is. Yeah. And that's it. Like being told, oh, I only feed for five minutes every three hours. Like, my goodness, that's not, <laughs> that's not yeah. healthy. Especially that's for not a long. newborn. No, no, it's not long at all. No. So, you know, I remember feeding, um, being told by the lactation consultant, feed 20 minutes on both sides then pump for 20 and then go back and feed for 20 minutes aside again. So, you know, like I was doing that. I think this is why I hate pumping so much too. 
and then she'd come back again, like, you know, 20 minutes later and I had to do it all over again. So, um, you know, to establish, like, my supply, which in the end, thankfully, I got it up and I was able to breastfeed exclusively and take the formula away and then pump only when I needed to. So I was lucky in that respect that I was able to establish my supply but um yeah like you said like there's such Mm. a big kind of westernized culture with babies in Australia and I'm it's so um it's it's really hurtful and it's really kind of um Mm. yeah I'm trying to think of the word I can't think of it (laughs) but yeah there's really kind of westernized approach it's so it's just not helpful at all and as you said before like more of this eastern approach it's so it's so much better so with my second i just did whatever she Mm -hmm. needed me to do i i had some really good advice correct um that when you have a baby everyone wishes they had a manual but the baby is the manual you know if they're crying and they need to feed then just feed them so that's it like you know or put them to sleep if they're you know if that's what they need or feed them or sleep them or burp them like the baby's the manual they'll tell you when there's something they need and I just followed that approach with my second and just the difference that I found with both of them my first is a little bit more anxious and my second is so cruisy and just Mm -hmm. goes with everything and she's such a calm baby and child and I think the the difference that me as a mum being more confident in my approach and my style of parenting is a big thing to do with that. I think, as we said, you know the the whole, you know, you need you need to leave your baby to be independent. You know, they need to be able to, you know, settle on their own or sleep in their own, you know, room and their own cot. You know, we the other thing is when you're a first time mum, you know, you take on this advice because you're like, oh, well, you know, it comes from other moms and I don't know anything much yet because I've just had my first. So I'll just take that advice on board and, and, and see. And then when it's not working for you, then you feel like you're failing because it's like, oh, but it's working for other moms and it's not working for me. And, and like, I'm, I must be failing as a mom. No, every baby is different. Just like you said, you've got two girls, very different, you know, very, very different personalities. And one would, one thing that would settle one might not settle, you know, the other one. And that's how it is. As you said, the baby is the manual. They will tell you what they yeah. need. Yes, sometimes it is really hard because you're like, oh, do, do they, you know, do they need a change? Do they need a burp? You know, have they got colic? And when you've got colic in the equation, it's really hard. But other than that, they will tell you. And even if you think, oh, but I've, I've just fed them, surely they're not hungry. Maybe it's not the hunger, maybe it's the sucking, maybe they just need to suck and they need to be close to you and that's all they need mm-hmm. and that's that's okay. If that's how it is, then so be it. You know, motherhood and especially in the first three months is a time for lots of skin to skin, lots of holding baby and yes, there is a lot of contact naps, you know, like when baby feeds and they fall asleep on you. Um, but that's that's what they need because they've been with you for nine months and then they're separated. And that's that's a hard separation for them, you know, to be away from from their mom, from, from the warmth that they had. So they need that to be able to be in a, in, in a new environment that's bright, that's got noise, that's just so different to where they were. Yeah. This whole Westernized approach to parenting is basically putting 
adult expectations onto babies, mm-hmm. toddlers and children and it's just not yeah, feasible. Exactly. So, yeah, we did a lot of contact naps with my second and I just I just embraced them. Like I would Good. I bought a sling, like a wrap um, carrier with my second, yeah. which I didn't have with my first and that's how we got around and that's how we did things and then that's just how it was and it was the best kind of time like I wasn't stressing and then she just went with the flow and then I just kind of worked around that you know I found a good show and I would sit down with you know a snack and let her rest and it was good (laughs) yeah and we know that if mum is is calm mum is feeling good then baby's going to feel that too we we know that so if the mum is stressed because oh, I need to, you know, they've fallen asleep on me. Oh, but they need to be in their cot right now. Oh, no. And, and, you know, and they can feel the stress. So if if you're relaxed, you know, as you said, you've got your sling, um, they're contact napping on you, and you're just, you know, you've got got water, you've got your show, you've got your phone, then happy days. And, and, you know, the first, you know, the first three months, you need to recover. So you need a lot of rest, a lot of of just not being on your feet and and you need that time to bond as well. You need you need to get to know your baby. Your baby needs to get to know you and, and you need that slow time. You know, I, I know in this day and age we, you know, it's like we need to be busy. We need to be doing things. We need to be multitasking. But no, we don't actually. When it comes to early motherhood, no, we can just sit down, watch a show, have baby nap on us, and do nothing else than that because we've just gone through birth, we've gone through a pregnancy. That's a lot of effort on the body. That's a lot of work. We need to recover now and the baby needs to adapt. And and that's the best way for you to recover and for baby to adapt. It's to just take it slow, you know, wear the baby, um, have baby on you, watch shows, read books, do something that will just, you know, lay in bed, relax basically yeah this whole societal pressure that women need to keep going and work hard and do it all is so harmful especially to new mums like we should be celebrating women taking a break and enjoying this newborn stage and doing the contact naps and supporting them in that so yeah exactly and I think you know I'm going back to what I said before that I think the eastern you know, cultures have so much to teach us because they've been doing, you know, the whole baby wearing, what we call baby wearing, they've been like to them, that's, that's normal. Like it's, it's probably not normal to not have your baby on you at all times when they're just born. So I feel like they've got so much to teach us and they've been, you know, we talk about having a village, but they've always had a village. They've always had, you know, other moms around cooking for them because the new mom you know shouldn't be cooking she should be resting so therefore meals get delivered to her and also other um other moms around other you know aunties grandmas will wear the baby so that the mom can get a little bit of rest as well so i feel like they've got so much to teach us that we should just embrace instead of going oh no i need to get back to work oh i need to multitask i need to clean the house i need it's like no, you don't. Those things can wait. You can just exactly. enjoy your baby. And the the rest, you know, will be, yes, you need to be fed. That's important. But again, we've got we've got meal delivery services. We've got, you know, maybe the, the husband, the partner can cook, maybe. 
people have some people have family around maybe the family can bring a meal maybe um there, there are options but i feel like we don't ask for help we we just we have to do it all ourselves and i think that's where we've we've gone wrong actually we we need to be asking for help we need to be you know delegating tasks so that we can be just enjoying the baby yeah i think asking for help in our society is a sign of weakness but it should be seen as a sign of strength like being able to um pinpoint where you need help like what a amazing ability to be able to stop and ask when i was pregnant with my first i had a really good strategy in place to be able to ask for help without seeming like a burden to others because that was my problem and that's something i had issue with was to put a list of things that I needed to get done and put it on the fridge. So cook dinner, mm-hmm. vacuum the house, yep. hang out laundry. And if ever the question came up when people visited, like, can I help you with anything? Because sometimes that question is, like, really hard to answer. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I don't do anything. Yeah. And you don't want to burden with someone with something that they don't feel comfortable doing either. Is, oh, there's a, a right, list yeah. on the fridge. Can you just pick one of those mm-hmm. and help me with that? And that way they're able to pick something that they feel yep. they're capable of doing and can help with. And it's helping you and it's taking a lot of, I guess, the um, the hard part out of being like thinking of something and asking someone to do it. And then I guess that almost that rejection of like, oh, no, I can't help you yep. with cooking dinner. I don't know what to cook for you. You know, yep. like if they don't feel confident cooking dinner for you, they can at least hang out some laundry or vacuum the floor. And I found that was a really good tactic. That's a great kind of that's a things. great thing yeah. actually. I'd never I've never heard that. And I think that's a great thing because as you said, sometimes, you know, um friends come over and like either you can't think of anything for them to do or you just don't really want to ask. And you also, you know, when they say, Can I help, you also don't want to potentially unravel the whole to do list as well. Because you're like, oh, yeah, maybe that's too yeah. much. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's that's a great idea, actually. And as you said, it's they pick one and there's no there's no pressure to, I don't know, maybe cooking dinner is harder than doing the dishes. And it, there's no pressure to go, oh, they've picked the easy task. You know, like it, it's none of that. It's just like the one thing you do for me will greatly help me. No matter what it yeah. is, it will greatly yeah. help me and contribute to me not feeling like I have to do it all or not putting pressure on myself to go, okay, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling up for it, but I have to vacuum the floor and and then you you do it anyway. Did you have a lot of support in your postpartum? Did you have family, friends coming over to help you? Uh, Yeah, I'm really lucky in that, well, first of all, I have a really good husband, like he's very hands-on. So, you know, he changes the nappies, he gets up during the night. So um, I'm really lucky. (laughs) in that aspect um he doesn't cook do you know i mean he tries but um let's be honest he just goes and gets smackers so i mean that's something oh yeah no no well that's yep (laughs) i mean that's that's a skill to get get, you know smackers um and then i but but i mean you know i sorry i just wanted to interrupt and say I, i read something the other day about something in terms of the wording right so we say oh my my husband helps me to you know to change nappies to change the baby to do bath time whatever and I, I feel like it it shouldn't be we shouldn't say oh the husband helps me because 
there you know you're a team you and your husband you're a team you you yeah. both the parents um sharing tasks is it should be normal i, I feel maybe yeah. that's my opinion um oh, you know sharing uh, load in, in as much as you can i mean obviously your husband can't breastfeed that's pretty obvious but he yep. can as you said he can change the nappies and he can do um you know he can do bedtime he can wake up through the night he can't cook that's okay. Maybe he can do something else that, you know, that helps you to take something off your plate. So then you can cook when you feel ready for it. So, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, just wanted to say that. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree where you're getting from. And it annoys me when, I mean, I know I said that he helps, but he parents his own children, but it annoys me when people say, oh, he's babysitting today. I'm like, well, he's not babysitting. I'm not paying him. He's parenting his own children. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, it's his responsibility um, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's good. We kind of have a bit of a setup here at home where we each been delegated a task. So um, he does the dishes in our house and he takes out the, the, the rubbish and he does our lawn care <laughs> and looks after our vehicles and I do other things. So my, my tasks are um, yep. I do the laundry and, you know, I do um, – <laughs> vacuuming so it's kind of like okay you do this yep. and i do that and that's each of our responsibilities so it doesn't yep. all fall exactly on one of yep. us sharing yeah yeah so it's kind of helped our um a household kind of move through everything so that's been a really good yep. implementation for us but i'm lucky nice. because i have support in my my older sister she comes at the top of a hat some days she lives three hours away but She's always there. She's a really good. Wow. Yeah, she's really good at if I call her upset over something, like my daughter won't get dressed for daycare and I'm struggling and she's having a really hard morning. She's like, it's normal. We've all been there. Just yeah. send her with some spare clothes and some jammies, like in center in her jammies, you know, like if she's not going to get dressed for the day. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter that she's in her pajamas, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not going to. It's exactly. Not like That's right. A life or death situation. So um, she's been really good at kind of just bringing me back into the moment and understanding yeah. that all of these things are normal and almost pretty much every mother yeah. has been through it. So yeah. that's really good. And then I also have a really supportive mother-in-law. So, again, like, she came over oh, in the great. morning and she started cleaning. And I have to let go of that, like, thinking it's a bad thing, but seeing as, oh, she's helping mm-hmm. us and helping our house. And, again, our house is moving forward because she's helping do a task that I'm too busy to do yeah. at the moment. So, um, yeah, she's been really good too. So she takes, takes our little ones and she, yeah, jumps in wherever we need her to. So... I'm really fortunate Amazing. in that, and that's how I can do um, uni and work and <laughs> all of these other things that I have on the go is because I've got this really good support network. That's essential, as you said. You you just need support because otherwise you can't do it all. You're only one person. Oh. Your husband's only one person. You can't divide yourself to be in two right. places at once and do drop-offs and then be on time at uni and work and then pick up and then there's sickness yeah you can't yeah you just can't do it no it's definitely not manageable to do it all without the right support Mm. um and that includes daycare so both my little ones go to daycare and that is an absolute godsend (laughs) love daycare so (laughs) i'm kind of excited on the days that they go sometimes like oh thank goodness it's a daycare day (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, because you would get some, you know, yourself time to do. Maybe yeah. you're going to uni or you're going to work, but at least you're not a mum on that day and you don't have the responsibility of your children. You can just park that and do something else. Yeah, exactly. Like it's using my mind for something other than being a mum and focusing on mum things as yeah. much as I do enjoy that and I love my children to no end it's good to kind of have a part of my life that's doing something I mean uni and the word enjoy don't exactly go hand in hand I don't exactly enjoy uni Mm. (laughs) it's hard but it's less hard sometimes than taking care of kids um so love that but it's it's putting myself towards something that's going to benefit me hopefully we'll see in the long run and that's what I I like it for so yeah (laughs) and so let's uh let's jump into time how did you come to wanting to expand the family how was that was it a planned pregnancy for you second uh we like to use the term we were trying without trying so again I wasn't on any kind of birth control when we fell pregnant with my second and that's been a choice that still now I stand by I don't like it I don't want to use it but my daughter was nine months at this point mm-hmm. oh, just younger than nine months probably about seven months old mm-hmm. um and we kind of decided hey we're actually kind of enjoying this <laughs> um she was in a really good spot from about six months onwards where she was an absolute delight of a child no. um <laughs> and then she hit toddler, so and we thought you know what let's take a crack at a second so again we weren't I wasn't tracking anything. I was still breastfeeding at this point. So my periods were all over the place. I didn't know exactly when I was Mm -hmm. ovulating and not ovulating. But my period was um, about two weeks late. But I thought, oh, it could be because I'm breastfeeding still. It's all out of whack. But took a test anyway. Came back positive. Uh, I think we were getting married So at this point. So I think our wedding was in like two weeks. Um, And we threw this in. And wow. my husband, I remember him just being so ecstatic and I was in just disbelief because obviously it had happened. Like, yeah. obviously we were aware of what we were, you know, kind of doing, but the fact yeah. that it happened so quickly was a bit of a um, a shock, I think. Yeah. So that was exciting. So it's nice to look back now on our wedding photos and we have our daughter and then obviously I'm pregnant in them, but no one knew at that no. point. So, um, yeah, except my sister, my sister was, yeah. uh, my sister and my friend Carly were the only ones who knew. So oh. at the wedding I was drinking non-alcoholic wine <laughs> mm-hmm. and nice to make and it seem like, yeah, no one would pick up anything. So yeah. And then all of a sudden my daughter was one and I was pregnant and I was like, oh, my goodness, I have a toddler now and they are wild. What have I done? <laughs> um, this whole two under two is going to yeah. be absolutely crazy um, because, like I said, when we were made our decision, she was quite more subdued yeah. as a child and then all of a sudden she hit toddler doing it i was like oh my goodness this is a lot toddlers are wild <laughs> and they are they're yeah, just no, wild they're full beasts on. oh my goodness aren't they just so yeah we had that my two are 18 months apart um yeah. where 
my youngest has just turned one this month, so I'm kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now, this whole two under two, but we'll see. She's starting tantrums now, so oh, <laughs> I'm going to have two tantruming children, so that will be oh, fun gosh. to uh, see how yes. we navigate that. But like yes. I said earlier, she's completely different, and I, I kind of attribute that to how I was with her as a newborn and basically her yeah. entire life, how I kind of dealt with her so differently with, with what my expectations of her have been, have been different. Yes. And now, obviously, my expectations of my, my oldest is a lot different too so mm. like I said I don't have adult expectations on my children at all like yeah I have mm. expectation of a two-year-old and expectation of a one-year-old now so yeah but she's such a different little girl and it's amazing to see her personality now come out so and she's so chill she's such a chill little baby so odd tantrum here and there but uh nothing yeah. like what um her sister was at one so um wow yeah it's um, been a bit of adjustment yeah how did you find um your first was when you were pregnant did she did did you feel like she felt that you were um like that you were busy like because I I I don't know if you understand what I mean but when you're pregnant you know they can understand that some of the focus is not on them I feel and then that can lead to a bit of you know lack of attention type thing I don't know I was doing uni full-time so obviously I was really busy already Mm. and she obviously then became really attached to my husband so (laughs) her and my husband formed a really really good bond which kind of made me a little bit sad that because I was doing uni full-time and I was pregnant with that second that I didn't get to spend that time with her and now I feel I'm kind of like out of the picture a little bit and we stopped breastfeeding at nine months as well she kind of weaned herself off so I was feeling a little bit kind of sad but obviously Mm. now as time's gone on we have a really good relationship now which I'm really grateful for but no she didn't seem to be too impacted until um the baby came mm-hmm. I remember when we introduced her to her little sister she was like oh what is this like <laughs> take it away <laughs> she wasn't too oh. interested in it until obviously like when my husband went back to work after a month off and it was just the three of us together and obviously like I was breastfeeding and I couldn't quite yeah. play and interact with her the same as I would or I would be holding the baby and she'd get jealous because then she wanted to be picked mm-hmm. up. So it wasn't yeah. until that time that she kind of realised, oh, I'm not the centre of attention anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a little bit of adjustment now. She's becoming mm-hmm. better now but still has these yeah. moments where she gets a little bit of jealousy, which is mm-hmm. typical. Like that's, of course, going to be yeah. so normal and I can completely understand why she feels that way. Uh, but I just try and integrate. Like sometimes I would put um, my youngest down and she'd, and be like oh sorry Lulu like I need to spend some time with Grace now and kind of do the same thing to both of them so she would hear me and that really really helped I found um but yeah it's kind of taken to about this point now to kind of level all of those feelings out (laughs) and her not be so I guess angry towards her little sister that's that's a hard one isn't it and as you said you know different personalities as well so it's it's hard enough think you know obviously when you're not when you're not the only child anymore and that you know too it's hard to understand the concept of dividing attention 
but still yeah. obviously like still being there for her but not like sometimes as you said you, you're feeding so you can't play or you can't pick her up because you've already got the baby that's hard to understand but I think they they get it and and it's yeah you know in as much as you can explain it to a two-year-old that's what's got to be done as well it's trying to explain with words and trying to spend time and trying to involve them I think that that helps so they still feel like they're they're in the picture obviously like obviously they are yeah it's kind of taken till about now like I said to for her to grasp the concept that the amount of tension they're receiving isn't equal to the amount of love that they're getting so she knows that I still love her even though I'm her little sister needs a little bit more attention so she's kind of starting to grasp that concept now which is really good it's helping a lot (laughs) yeah no it would be and as you said you know two and a half I think they've got more understanding too and then one-year-olds that's when they're starting to gain independence they they want to walk they they kind of want to explore um so you also get they also detach a little bit from you in that sense so you get a little bit more time to be with you two and a half and to still watch your one-year-old who might be getting into trouble as well yeah, they like to play together now. So my oh, cool. youngest is always looking for her sister and where is she and she wants to play. Um, and sometimes <laughs> they play nice, but sometimes they get yeah. a little bit of yeah. <laughs> yeah, As siblings, siblings do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty normal, I think. How was the, the yeah. pregnancy? So you obviously had a toddler and you were pregnant. Yeah. How yeah. was that? And, and you had uni. Oh, well. Wow. Yeah, I was doing uni full-time, my goodness. Uh, but wow. surprisingly, my best semester of uni ever. So wow. <laughs> maybe the pressure was it. a good thing. I don't know how I managed that. Um, doing a lot of science too is really hard. But anyway, I, yeah, it, I don't know. I think when I was in this kind of season of life, I was prioritizing sleep a lot more. So I think that really ultimately helped me um, with my mental health and keeping focused and not losing my mind. (laughs) So, yeah. And again, I was really sick with my pregnancy with my second. I was diagnosed with HG again, but it was Mm -hmm. so less severe than it was with my first. Um, So if it was a true diagnosis, then this diagnosed me because that's, I've already had it. I don't mm-hmm. know. But it wasn't as bad. Thank good, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> and then I, with my pregnancy, I had a student midwife this time around, which was amazing. Oh, cool. We're, like, still really good friends. And I'm oh, so thankful to have her in my life and thankful to have her throughout that pregnancy and my labor experience. And then um, towards the end, I was like, I don't feel well. I was monitoring my blood pressure because, again, I had a few instances where it was a little bit high. And then um, went in one night for monitoring and they were like, yep, you've got preeclampsia. You can either stay here the night and then we'll induce you, but pretty much, um, or you can go home, but pretty much we'll induce you by, this was a Wednesday, and they said we'll pretty much induce you by the weekend. I didn't want any kind of intervention this time so I really didn't want to be induced or have um, a stretch and sweep done but obviously the stretch and sweep versus being induced I'd rather have a stretch and sweep to see if it induced labor so had that done went home the next morning at 5 a.m I was in labor so I was a bit (laughs) like oh 
yeah, I was a bit like, oh, like, it'll be fine. Like, it's going to take forever again. Um, my sister was meant to join me for this labor, and I was on the phone to her having these contractions. She's like, because she couldn't make it in the end. And she was like, look, I think you need to go to the hospital. Like, these are coming on, like, pretty fast. And I was like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. And then um, my husband called the hospital because they told me to come back at 11 the next day yeah. to be induced. And it's the, in the morning and my husband's like, oh, look, she's in labor. They're like every six minutes. Do you want us to come in now or do you want us to wait till 11? And the midwife was like, come in now. <laughs> like, my goodness, why are you waiting? Like, come on in. Like, this is your second. They're six minutes apart. Like, my goodness. So we got in and I was like, there's no way I can do this without an epidural. I just, mm-hmm. yeah, no. <laughs> so I had another epidural, but... Before that, they were checking uh, how far dilated I was. And my waters broke while they were checking it. Um, That was an experience and a half, my goodness. Um, It just felt like one of those super soakers just into, yeah, it was wild. And I heard that there was some debate on whether it was like my waters broke naturally or whether it was... um, artificial uh-huh. rupture because she was checking uh-huh. at the time um <laughs> so I don't know what the diet I don't know what they came up with in the end but yeah um other than the preeclampsia which was I think it was a more severe case than my first my birth was amazing like I pushed her out wow. in five minutes not even five minutes like less than five minutes took me two pushes wow. um to birth her which is amazing um yes and then, yeah, she was fine. She was healthy. She, I got, I got my skin to skin and then she made her way down and started feeding on her own, which is, I got that in the end. So my second was a really healing birth because I had a lot of um, anxiety coming into that birth with how my first went. So I feel kind of a sense of accomplishment in some ways. I wish I hadn't done that with the epidural, but I mean... There's no way. It's painful. <laughs> yeah, it's painful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's just a whole other world of pain. So, yeah, there's no way. I don't think I could How have How long was your labour this time? Uh, I think in the end it was 14 hours. So, um, oh, wow. I think it slowed down post the epidural, mm-hmm. yeah. which is pretty standard, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, going from 42 to 14, I'll take yeah. the 14. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, no, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, had her on the same day I started laboring. Um, she was born that evening. And then, yeah, like no complications. She, again, she was a good feeder, so she fed amazing. We still breastfeed now. She's one. So oh, I'm nice. really happy to kind of be continuing that journey a little bit longer than when I did with my first. So, yeah, like I said, she was such a really healing birth. And like I said, my approach to her, like I would feed her all the time and knowing that, breastfeeding isn't just for food it's for comfort and a whole other host of things contact naps and then I went back to uni when she was eight weeks but I took her with me so I just put her in the carrier and along she came and (laughs) we pretty much attached to the hip yeah she was just I couldn't do that with my first not at all but with my second um because she was such a chill little baby and I think I attribute that to how I was too as a mum like I was really calm in my approach that um yeah I had a really calm happy baby oh see that's amazing and so 
how so now you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel yeah the two how, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah the, yeah finally you you're, you're out of it good yeah how does that feel you know mentally to have two children obviously with very different needs and 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 wants and how is that with you know your life and 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 everything good it's nice to find I guess a little bit of myself back again I've kind of gone a long journey I guess since I fell pregnant with my first I was diagnosed recently back in January with postpartum depression which has been a hard thing they said that I was probably had it from my first but it was never kind of picked up until Mm. now so there's a long kind of struggle there to get to this point but the changes now in my life going back from where I was pretty much at my lowest in January to now it's such a big a big kind of change so yeah it's nice now to kind of be on the other side of the 202 and then this mental health journey and kind of see the light and be like oh wow like there is (laughs) like it doesn't last forever like this whole where they're on you and they need you constantly and all of that kind of fog that comes with yeah. the newborn stage. Like it does kind of lift. It's nice. I like this side of life. <laughs> that, that's hard. And the fact that you, you had undiagnosed postpartum depression that wasn't picked up, that's that's really hard because we, we know how important it is to screen moms for, for yeah. mental health to check that they're doing okay because postpartum depression, when it's not, when you're not getting the help you need, that's that's really hard to navigate. And then obviously after that you've got you've got a child or you've got two. That's really hard. Wow, good on you. Like are you yeah. on medication? Are you getting therapy? Yeah, so I take uh Lexapro now, so I'm on medication. So that's been an absolute nice. game changer. Yeah, it's I was always failing like the um mental health I forget the, the test that they call it but I was always doing quite bad in those Mm -hmm. and the fact that it wasn't picked up until recently is a bit sad in a way yeah um but yeah I see um a counsellor every two weeks and like I said I take medication I've been to see a psychiatrist my GP is amazing nice on this journey um with me so that's been really good but I think the biggest thing was I was actually admitted to hospital for mental health and I stayed a little while in the mental health board and that was kind of a big wake-up call that I need to do better. Mm-hmm. So going from there in my absolute lowest to now, um, it's been a big journey. A lot of um, self-awareness, which always isn't the easiest thing, mm. but that's been the biggest game-changer to be like, oh, okay, like what is it I'm doing good? What am I doing not so great and where can I improve? And doing um, things like the Circle of Security course has been absolutely eye-opening too and looking into a lot of guests' facets of my life and why I have certain thoughts and reactions to things that I do have. But, yeah, and it's just kind of putting things, I guess, into perspective. Like I said, I used to get so caught up in, like, some small things like the house is messy or I haven't Mm -hmm. done this or the laundry needs folding or I need to do all these things and I need to do them perfectly and then to appear perfect and I've got this all under control and I'm a great mum. Like, realising that 
that's adding so much pressure to me and I don't need to have that pressure has been really eye-opening. I said this to you on our phone call earlier, like a good analogy that I have is that things in life are like balls and some of these balls are rubber. So if you drop them, they'll bounce. So if I don't fold the laundry, it's not a life or death situation. It'll just bounce. It'll be there at the end of the day. It'll be there next week. It's not going to change, you know, like no. that's fine. But things like my my children and my husband, they're glass balls. If I drop them, they'll break. So I need to catch mm. them. So they're a priority yeah. and things like laundry or making my bed every day or, you know, having the latest clothes or things like that. Like even uni, uni's, if I fail yeah. it, like I can go back and do it. It's not the end exactly. of the world. I'd rather not, but, you know, I need to put things into perspective. It's not life or death. You know, and that's yeah. for me, that's the best way to view things. Um, yeah. And that's what helps me. But I always catch my husband and my two kids, those balls, like, because like I said, they're, they're glass balls and everything else yeah. will bounce if I drop it. So yeah. it's about putting things like that into perspective and realizing like, it's okay. Everything is okay. Yeah know and where to put my energy that's right and and something i just want to come back on is when it comes to mental health like you said you know after you went to the uh, acute mental health you said oh I, i needed to do better and sometimes like it's not about you you need to do better sometimes it's about you need help you need yes you know you need medication or you need guidance because if you don't know how to get better you can't get better. You're not going to magically say, oh, today I'm going to feel better. Yes. No, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen. You need help. And that's, that's, it. And, that's, and, it. that's and it's so sad that in your case, you were not diagnosed with postpartum depression when you obviously needed the help. That is like, yeah. and even when they did the test and they can see you scoring low, I don't know how they missed that because it's really like it's so important to refer moms because when you're living in it, sometimes you you don't know that what you're living is not everyone else's reality. Sometimes you're like, well, maybe that's how everyone feels. That's how everyone is. So I'm normal. But you don't know that you need help or, you know, or, or what you're feeling is not is not the norm. If, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you don't know, you can't seek help, you know, so you need someone to say, Oh, Actually, it looks like maybe if you saw, you know, a counselor or a psychologist that could help you to deal with these emotions or to help unload that or unpack this. And then from there you go, ah, the way I felt, now I feel so much different, but I didn't know that I needed that help. Actually, you know, I wasn't going to realize that one morning magically I needed guidance to get there. Exactly. Exactly. Like I wasn't me in that time. So, and I didn't realize that, like, it just becomes so kind of hazy, yeah. the the point of where you are and where the mental health is, like, you, you kind of lose yourself in it. And I heard a statistic the other day that the biggest cause of death postpartum mums is suicide. So the fact that it wasn't picked up sooner, it's really quite sad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah. yeah. And my husband likes to say, um, just let it go. Let it go. Let things go. And I was saying that to the counsellor and she's like, but how? How do you let it go? That's just not a thing. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Like the more you think about it, you just can't let things go. And it's about learning how to cope pretty much. Yeah. So it's about strategies. 
and about what mm. strategies work for you. Like I said, like sometimes putting things in a life or death basket for me, that's what helps yeah. me kind of see the bigger picture of things and kind of yeah. work forward basically and seeing things for what they are. So she pointed out to me that she drew circles on a, um, on a whiteboard. So the middle mm-hmm. circle was me and my, was basically me. Then a tight mm-hmm. circle around that was my husband and children. And then mm-hmm. she kept drawing circles around those so that it got bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And I was letting opinions and thoughts of people who were basically on the outest most circle affect yeah. me in the middle. And she's like, you can't mm. let that happen. It's only what's in these tight circles around you that should be affecting you, yeah. not the opinions of people all the way out there. So society, what the internet says, yeah. what some bloggers says on Instagram, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like with her yeah. beautiful beige family, like <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be right. letting it affect me and how I operate with my husband and two yeah. children. So that was a big kind of wake up to me that I was letting all these things affect me and they don't need to. So yeah, yeah, kind of, um, and like I said, uh, uh, um, medication, <laughs> Medication's been one of the biggest things yeah. to really help. And that is, yeah, I'm truly grateful that I'm able to have access to that as well. So that's really good. Oh, that's amazing. See, I'm so glad now that, you know, you're you're feeling better and you're feeling yourself. And as you said, you can yeah. realize that, you know, societal pressure, you, you can just push it aside and go, sure, I don't want to do this. That's not for me. I don't need to listen to you. I, you know, I I don't need to do what you're telling me, but you don't know what you don't know. So when you don't know that as a first time mom, then you go, Oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. It needs to work for me when it's clearly not working, but yeah, you don't know what you don't know. That's it. That's it. And, um, when you have conversations with like other mums and they're like, or, um, Oh, I just love being a mum, and this is such a rewarding (laughs) experience. And I just couldn't think of anything better in life and it's going so well and I'm like well that's great if they truly feel like that then that's all the power to them love that for you but I need someone I can complain to like (laughs) you know I need someone I can vent to like this is really hard and it is like being a mum is one of the hardest things Mm. I've ever done but it doesn't take away from the fact that I love my children more than anything so I just needed to understand like hey I can have these people in my life as I guess periphery friends but that's nothing more than that (laughs) you know I can't have deep and meaningful conversations with these people because it's just going to affect me and my mental health and what how I view myself as a mother because I'm I don't enjoy every minute of every day with my children. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't. That's so hard. There's some hard times. Like when my daughter's screaming yeah. at me, she doesn't want to put a nappy on, and then she wants Coca-Cola on the TV. Like I'm not enjoying that moment. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. No, you wouldn't be. Who would? Who would be no, enjoying that moment? No. Like no one. No one. And I'm sorry. Like my children don't wear beige clothes. So um, <laughs> all those beige mums out there, no offense to you, but oh, my goodness. <laughs> She wants to wear Peppa Pig and bright pink and a tutu dress. Like, yeah, cool. I'm going to let her. So, yeah. <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah, and, and what works for your family might not work for your neighbour's family. I don't know. It's, exactly. You, you do your thing and everyone else does their thing. And the problem with social media now is we feel like we have to 
share everything we do, uh, obviously the, the good side, not the rest. And then it's almost like then you see other people doing better than you, obviously with lots of brackets there. Um, and you go, oh, they're doing so much better. I'm, I'm not smiling at eight in the morning. Uh, my daughter isn't dressed at eight in the morning. Uh, and then you feel like you have to be like them but you don't. And that's something really important to realize. Everything you see on social media is one photo of one moment that may not have even happened at that moment. And their reality is different from yours. And that's okay because they have different circumstances. They don't live the same life. They don't have the same parenting style. And that's okay. That's how it is. Every children is different. So you adapt to the child and you parent them the way you feel is right for them. And that's, that's how it is. And that's the most acceptable way to parent, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't have said it better. Like these pressures that social media give us are just so unrealistic. And like you said, it's one moment from how many hours are in a day, you know, like... Show me three in the morning when your child won't sleep. Like, that's what I want to see because that's the reality of things. Like, that's what actually happens. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and telling, I feel like, what's everyone's reality that no one wants to talk about. Yeah, that's it. Like, I hope to see more of it on social media, like the reality of things. But um, let's be honest, it's probably not going to go that way. But um, I hope that someone listening can take something from this and be like oh okay like it's not just me dealing with this like it's it's every mum basically yeah exactly yeah and that's that's it that's why I do the podcast it's so other people can go oh I'm not the only one thank goodness (laughs) yeah there's nothing more isolating than feeling like you're the only one going through something and yeah it's just not the reality yeah we're probably all going through the same things but we don't talk about it we need to talk about it and this is what we're doing and this is what we've done today definitely covered a lot of things that are taboo so to speak yeah yeah like mental health and not enjoying every Mm. moment with their children my goodness how dare i (laughs) a lot of people will never admit to that like that's it that that's something they'll never say and yet there's no way they're enjoying every single second of every single day. Maybe they Such are. Such a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if they are, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd love to know how they do it. <laughs> exactly. Tell us your secret, please. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ebony, and I hope you have a great day and you enjoy yourself. Will do. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to get notified of when a new episode comes out, please subscribe to this show on your podcast listening platform. Also, I would really appreciate it if you could leave me a review on Apple Podcast or share this episode so that other mom can find it. If you would like to tell your own pregnancy, birth or parenting story, please head to the show notes and you will find a form there to get in touch with me. Again, thank you so much for listening. And I will be with you again next week for a new episode.